The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Alivet. Support babies' healthy development at every stage. The Human Race podcast discusses subjects that will be upsetting for some, including infertility, miscarriage and stillbirth. Support is available. Check the show description for details. This episode also contains some strong language. Kia ora and welcome to The Human Race, a podcast about those who are in the race of their lives to create a life. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and for the past four years and counting, I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. So we wanted to bring you stories from those people that have been through it. So even if you don't want to talk about it, maybe those stories can give you hope, or at the very least, make you feel a little less alone. This is a collab podcast between Stuff and Wabi Sabi Media. For a gay couple, there are obviously extra layers of complexity involved in the baby-making battle. Donors, doctors, legal agreements. But does it need to be as hard as it is? Is the system outdated? Is it time for change? Taryn and Sasha Klyakovich have navigated their fair share of challenges to conceive their two beautiful children, Miha and Maya. And we are very grateful to have them on The Human Race. Kia ora, Sasha. Hello. And kia ora, Taryn. Kia ora. And beautiful baby Maya. Oh, that was a little snort hello. Not keen. (laughs) You seem, both of you, like such naturals. We've been together for a while now, 11 years. Mm -hmm. Were babies always on the cards? Yeah. Right from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to be a mum, particularly from a really young age, didn't I? You did. We got together, bought it up quite quickly. Yes. <laughs> and, and at what point do you talk about the practicalities of that? Well, you see, being lesbians, we get into it quite quick. <laughs> <laughs> there's this term that I, I didn't know much about the gay world, obviously, until I was in it. And then I was like, what is this all about? So there's this term that they use called U-hauling. It's on the L word. If anyone out there listens to it, they'll know all about it. It's like an American slang thing. But yeah, there's this kind of... It's the actual truck, like moving. Yeah, I get it. So then you run rent a day and then... So it's like you meet someone on the first day, the date goes super well, like merges into the next day, and then the next day you get a U-Haul and you move in together, and then it's like all on like Donkey Kong. And you're thinking about kids, marriages, and stuff like that, but we weren't quite like that. We met met a gay woman when we went to Grenada. When was that? End of... 20, Not last year, the year before, yeah, 2021. Yeah. And we, she had just met this amazing woman. We were like, don't go too quick. And they're about to have a baby. <laughs> so they did no, not she, listen. No, honestly, she was like, she's amazing. And we're going to get engaged. And I was like, you've known her for five weeks. So that would be So a it's a thing. It's a thing. Things it's move quick. Thing. You guys went that quick, though? We had been living together for a year. And then we got engaged, which in dog years or gay years would be <laughs> a really long time. <laughs> um, but we got some really good advice a couple of years into our relationship. Yeah, I think no, about it, two years, I wasn't was it? was it the first year? We, they, yeah, it was really early on. One of our, um, she's like a second mum to me, an older gay woman, gave us some really good advice, which is girls, even if you're not thinking about children for right now, you need to get on to thinking about how you would do it if you do want to do it. So, yeah, we had we, we had to do some prep work quite early on, start thinking about it in terms of logistics and things, because we're missing a pretty key ingredient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. So w- that key ingredient, Taryn, how do you um, go about that and you know, where do you start finding a donor? So the key ingredient is sperm that we're missing. Um, <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> and, okay, so there are a few things um, 
We were quite a, quite a hot couple back in the day, eh, babe, like 11 years ago. Oh, you still are. Oh, you still are. You make beautiful babies. <laughs> held a pause, waited for you guys to gas us up. <laughs> but we were very in love in the first couple of years, and we would just spend a lot of time pashing in bars and having <laughs> dancing tea and having I a lot of fun. Tea, am I? But There's no such thing on this podcast. <laughs> we, we had a lot of fun, and we got a lot of offers for sperm. Oh, my God. Actually, this is hilarious. So one day, we're in the supermarket just down here. And we're just shopping. And someone comes up to us. I didn't know who they were. I think they knew you vaguely. And they were like, oh, yes, yes, how's it going? Um, and within a minute, they had offered us sperm in the fruit section. And we were just Whoa. like, okay, bro. Straight guy, of course. Single yeah, how guy, are your apples? And would you like some sperm? They, they, they fancy the idea of yes. impregnating someone else, but then not having a responsibility? No, but, or what is it? Yeah, here's the thing. So we started... We got this great piece of advice, which is, you know, get onto this early because it takes ages. So we took the advice and basically that was it. Like we, we started the journey and, and there was someone who, who we had in mind and I'd had a long sort of friendship with this person and he was straight straight guy and um, he was single at the time and he was fully, yep, 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 awesome. And then his circumstances changed and then, so then we sort of went on this journey of like, donor dating and because totally. we so there's mm. just a distinction to make is that you know um you you can go on a sort of known donor route or an unknown donor and both of those journeys are diff- quite different so if you go for a known donor then you have some form of relationship with that person and they they're coming on a journey with you yeah. or you're going to an unknown donor whether it's whatever gamete so that's like sperm or egg and in New Zealand because of our laws you you can't purchase those components you probably know not in New Zealand not in New Zealand right so that means that the the registry of these sperm or eggs is really small because mm. it has to be voluntary whereas in it overseas you have a different marketplace because people get paid for for doing this. And so there's a lot more um, access in other countries. And so there's lots of different people, lots of different ways to go about it. So if you want to do it in New Zealand, uh, as a gay couple, you have to register with a fertility company and you would go on a kind of a list and you wait. And then those donors, sperm donors usually uh, specify, oh, we're cool with it being anyone, gay couples included, or no, I'm not cool with it being a gay couple or a single woman. It has to be a married couple, for example. Or you can find your own donor, which yeah. we chose to yeah. do. So you went, you went down that um, route. Now, was it um, through, because it was going to be easier or because you wanted um, your children to know who the donor was? Yeah, I really particularly, not knowing my dad, it was really important to me. I felt we had a responsibility to our children that they knew who they came from. We started by going and talking to straight guys. All these straight guys were just loving the idea of this. And then they'd talk to their mums and um, get cold feet. So there was oh, a the lo- mums were putting the kibosh on it. Yeah, well, and I, I, can, I can understand that if I put myself into their shoes, which is, you know, there are implications involved with children and um, it'd be hard, right? So we had a lot of what felt like first dates with yeah, like these donors, mm. prospective donors. Like we'd get dressed up really nice and put our best <laughs> foot forward. And it's like we were pitching to yeah. be um, like a given, job interview or absolutely. something. Absolutely. <laughs> like we'd make great parents, you know. Yeah. And, Look uh, how in love we are. We're such exactly. a tight-knit unit. Why, yeah. why did you start with straight men and not gay men? 
because we knew more straight guys and that's where the offers were coming from. Okay. Mm. But then we had to uh, pivot because it was fruitless after about a year of sort of talking. Classic joke there, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> talking to these dudes. And, and their yeah, mums were going, no. It felt quite... Um, Soul-sucking, to be honest. Yeah, it was quite heartbreaking because you'll get excited and then you're like, cool, like we're a little bit closer to this, something we really want. I felt a bit do. objectified too because some of these guys were like, oh, we'd make really attractive children and da-da-da-da-da. And it's just like, man. Are you objectifying them a little bit as well? Because you want your baby to have good genes, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're like, yeah, he's handsome enough. We definitely yeah. had our hit list of attractive people. I mean, if you can choose, right? Exactly. Dating <laughs> but, um, so that wasn't working out for us. So we sort of regrouped and we decided to go down the gay route. Mm. Um, you know, it's pretty mutually beneficial being it's pretty hard for gay guys to have children on their own and, and same, same. And we also thought there'd be more sort of commonality and understanding. Yeah, I think there's a shared understanding and language in the community. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, but I didn't know a lot of gay guys. So being a publicist then, I was really crafty and I thought, okay, gay guys, right. Opened Facebook, which was cool back in what, (laughs) 10 years ago. And, um, and my friend had just had her 30th birthday party and it was Beyonce themed. So sure enough, heaps of gay guys in those pics. So I literally messaged her. I was like, Hey, seems like, you know, a lot of gay guys. Uh, we want to find a donor. And I imagine her closing that window. She goes, leave it with me, sis. Closing that window, opening another, and she messaged a whole bunch of gay guys. Um, and that's how we found our person, our donor. We had donor. a matchmaker. Mm. We yeah. did, we yeah. did. Subject line, semen required. <laughs> Seriously, can you imagine? Who knows what the actual CC was at the time. So I guess yeah. there's this whole um, legal and ethical process you have to go through when you're going down the surrogacy route. But what's the legal process when you're going down the sperm donor route? Or is there one? Or do you have to determine what that is? Sasha? Well, I there, know you did lots of research. Yeah, no, I was like super nerd about it. Um, so, yes, there there is accommodations in the law. So there were quite a lot of quite gnarly court cases previous to sort of the 2000s um, where things hadn't – there'd been a known donor and things hadn't gone well. Um, so there were some adjustments made. There was a Care of Children Act um, that kind of protected – the, the donor as well as like the family and stuff and so that made things more clear and there was like an accommodation for it for sort of like an unknown donor so that the you know children know biologically where they've come from and they may have a relationship with that person so things were a bit easier in the landscape for us and that's an important point I think we both kind of wanted to, to make is that we couldn't be the family that we are now without many things happening you know, there was the Marriage Amendment Act and there was like changes to the Care of Children Act and there's a lot more accommodations to understand that family means so much more like now more than ever, whether you're a single parent family, a gay family or your grandparent raising a child, like it is a very big different definition. So much, much more now. And particularly, I think it's important to acknowledge the gay people before us that made this possible. I think I was just going to say that, you know, it would have been quite different for people in your situation 20 years ago to create the family that you've created. Well, women, you know, we've got some really close uh, friends who are family friends to us and they tell us their stories. They're a gay couple. And, you know, they couldn't get a mortgage as a single female um, or in a same-sex relationship, let alone go down this route. So, you know, the law 
must permit life mm. and it must exist in your favour so that every door opens. Um, I think that's such a critical point, especially if it's to be healthy. Mm. Otherwise, it's sort of secretive and behind closed doors yeah. and all those things. So, yeah, to further your point, like we we sort of did a lot of research, found out a lot about lots of things and um, went through a process, talked to some friends who'd been through a similar process and recommended, you know, seeing a lawyer and starting with like almost like a statement of intent, like creating a, an agreement about how we kind of wanted things to go and stuff. And that's kind of how we started. Actually, something that my mum says to me, who has, you know, three kids of her own and she's a straight woman with a husband, you know, she's like, man, everyone should go through and like, she's like, you know, you should go through this process because it's so great to kind of think through all these issues and stuff before you Do have your a baby kid. due diligence. And just thinking about like what happens if this happens and what should you do if this happens and like, like just like you know baby counseling or something yeah you know? it's actually really cool like i'm like you everyone should do it because yeah. it makes you think like mm. oh man how would i handle this and how should we resolve that and to answer your question you don't have to go down that route no, you, you could literally okay. get pregnant and boom that's it right just however you want to get pregnant you could do that but we decided because of some things we knew of that had happened with other gay couples where uh, maybe there were the best of intentions in the beginning with you know say a couple and their donor and things fell apart because it's such an intimate um, emotional and complex yeah. dynamic uh, we learned from that we took heed of that and so we went to see a really great lawyer and mapped out a statement of intention with our donor um, who would father our children just so that um, we've all felt safe I think we had a blueprint I guess yeah. to go off mm. so that's you don't have to do that there's no way by the book but we chose to do that and I think it has definitely stood us in good stead yeah. because if things get awry or a bit difficult we've got that to go back to yeah. so, mm-hmm. so you've when, got, yeah mm. so you've got this sort of base document yeah does it give you any real guarantees though you've done all this legal work no no everything and so just caveat to anyone listening like family law is is always quite gray but in the instance of um, being a donor, you have to go through steps. So if you go through a fertility clinic, you have to sign consent forms. Like there's a big process that it, that goes for, go you go through. Sorry, um, this is more around if there's some relationship. You know, how do you manage that? And it's it's. I mean, I suppose you could liken it to like when people have a blended family. If you could start right at the beginning and say, how, how do you set this up well? Maybe like that. Maybe that's kind of a bit like how it might look. It's just, just to be, some... sorry to over talk you, Sash. To be clear, Dan, that does not, that statement of intent wouldn't be um, held up as like an adoption agreement or anything similar like that. Yeah. It essentially is a paper trail, which okay. says at the beginning of this, this was everyone's intentions. And I think what's clear is that we're the parents and our donor is the donor. It's, it sounds like quite a cold word. Um, our donor has given us incredible gift and he has fathered our children mm. and it's it's way more human than the word donor. But, um, you know, that that document has definitely sort of been the bedrock and the foundation for our relationship. And it's got important clauses in there if we have any disputes and need to work things through. For instance, there's a clause in there that says any of us without question can raise um, 
can trigger us to go to see, say, a counsellor to work through things to keep the health of the relationship really good. So for us, that document's been great. And when friends and peers come to us asking for advice, that's one of the key things that we say. And actually, back to what Sasha said, that would be great in every marriage, that you could be like, I trigger the counselling clause. (laughs) Well, there's like, yeah, yeah, and there's like tears to it. I think it's actually like conflict is, is, is part of every good relationship, effectively, and it's how you resolve it. And we always say, you know... Rupture and repair, like that is the whole... That's how you build muscle, right? Yeah, that's how Wait, you do you're going to correct me, Sasha's a doctor. She'll be like, that's not that's quite not it. Quite no, it. no, it kind <laughs> of is, to be honest. Yeah. So I, I think like, like it's just something that whoever you are, it, it is good to take heed of, you know, before you buy a house, before you buy a car, before you have just a baby, before you get married, like just pause a little bit and think like, through some steps. Yeah, I think a lot of people just run into these things and just don't do that. We so, can shag in a toilet. Well, that's the you thing. Know, you know, make a baby. <laughs> Absolutely. Whereas the gays, I mean, we had they a list also of... shag in toilets, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of shagging goes on in toilets. Well, if there's, if there's one upside to having a long fertility journey, we've had a long time to think this through. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Good for you guys. We're still on that train. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, Got this document drafted. Um, you're looking like you're in a good place. Um, your firstborn Miha, beautiful boy. How did you decide who was going to carry um, the first time? We rocked it off in our jokes. No, I'm just older. Sasha's so, five so, years older. Yeah, yeah so that's yeah. The, the timeline. That was pretty much it. I yeah. was just like, obviously, being in health, I was like, well, there is no point waiting, you know, just just do it. Which I, I've learned on this journey, as they would say to, to Nadine, you're a geriat- geriatric yeah. now. So yeah. it's, and it's like, that that's word. really, that's really cutting mean. Cutting word. Yeah. It is quite cutting. So yeah. you managed to conceive Miha without using IVF. And I know that people get quite curious <laughs> and possibly a bit inappropriate asking you questions about how that happened. So I hope you don't mind if I ask because I am curious yeah, yeah, yeah. as to how that happened. So as I understand it, it's the turkey-based method. Yeah, so we went through all the sort of like formal processes to get sperm nice. You know, like yeah. you need to go through quite a lot of stuff to get it all there and it all checked and da-da-da. So um, just to clarify, we went to Fertility Associates for that bit to check things like do blood tests, counseling, sperm, mm-hmm. sperm count, scans, all the things. And we actually did do an IUI mm-hmm. once or twice for me. I can't remember. Which is just kind of where they put the sperm really close to the... Through the cervix. Just imagine right. a yeah. super long straw where they put a little bit of sperm in it and then they squirt it up right through the cervix into the uterus. Like that is it's what Just kind of introducing them to each other and saying, right, get together. Yeah, get close, guys. That's it. That's that's what an IUI. It's just a straw. A straw and it's in really expensive. It's mm. about eighteen hundred dollars a pop. Or more now, I think. Yeah. And so, I was pretty new into my career. You'd and only would... really just come out of med school, and so uh, we, we were, were like, kind of like, why don't we just do this? Like, you know, get a, a glass and a syringe is all we, we just see need. if we can do the budget DIY method. And you know what? <laughs> it was very successful. We have had like wildly inappropriate. Questions like, so, who's, who had sex with the donor? Oh, oh, when did you do that? Is this just randoms being like, all, so, no, listen, tell me intimate and, details? By the way, it's all the time. It's not like just once or twice. It's like, so, you know, you know, like, how did you go about it? They don't <laughs> talk like that. No, but but no, do they, they make they it do. sexual, right? Make it sexual, yeah. Well, they sort of start off curious, and then it depends, like, on their delivery, how creepy it comes across. But then you're like, okay. We like, were talking about this in the car. I said, not, I mean, I think most people are good, and most people are trying 
to like it comes from a good place they're mm. trying to be respectful but they just don't know they don't really realize maybe that when they get home they realize how cringe they mm. sound mm. Yeah. sounded but um i think most people are good i, I was saying to you Sash, that i've only heard it about i think only one occasion i can remember where i felt like i was being sexualized mm. which was super yuck mm. um but most people are asking questions or saying these things because they're trying to understand um i've had a few shockers where it's offended me and it's I, I've got a bit of an expressive face. <laughs> so um, when Miha it's was... It's good to provide that feedback. <laughs> yeah. When Miha was born, I felt, I definitely felt really sensitive, like what's my place if I'm non-biological? I didn't carry Miha. Uh, he's 100% Sasha in our um, donor's DNA, not not mine, but um, he's my baby. And yeah. I, I say to him um, that I didn't make him in my tummy, but I made him in my heart. Corny, but it's how I feel. He's my baby, right? Um, But anyway, so I felt quite sensitive in those first few days when he was born and those first few months, um, like, am I his real mum? Sort of thoughts in my head. And this one woman, bless her, she would have been in her 60s or 70s, and she goes, oh, are you the nanny? (laughs) When I was holding my baby, I was like, apparently my face just dropped, like resting bitch face. I didn't mean to look like that. Um, And I've been asked, you know, around the water cooler and things and offices and things, um, if we adopted our, if I adopted my child, uh, if we used a surrogate, which I think is quite a good one, being like we have two yeah, that's uteruses. one thing you have a surplus yeah. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like waiting for them to think that through a little bit, you know. Um, but as I say, most people are good. Most people really want to get it right, but maybe they haven't been exposed to families like ours before. Um, so it honestly just depends how much energy I have on the day as to whether or not I entertain the questions and things. You can like you can sort of navigate it quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Come out with some one liners, you know? Yeah. Um and so you decide to have another baby. Um yes. was it a given that you that you were gonna do it this time or was it was there a discussion around it at all? Was there a discussion? Yes, many. Um T I I was always like, nah, you gotta do it, you know. Um I think for a while there you were like, no, 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 you do it. I nearly chickened out. Yeah. <laughs> Sasha makes great babies. And so I, felt are you. A bit of, I felt a bit of pressure. I was like, will I make one as good? Oh. <laughs> well, can confirm every bit is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's out the gate. Incredible. Yeah. Um but yeah, it took us a minute to uh have Maya. We went through a few things. Um that led to a really big age difference. My sister passed away a few years ago um, and it was important to me that my sister didn't see me pregnant because she really wanted children Mm. and didn't get to have them. She was really young. She died. She was 26. Um, So, and then I started, we started trying and for a good couple of years it just wouldn't, wouldn't take. And I think the timing just wasn't right. Um, I think I was probably a bit stressed out and grieving and all that sort of stuff. So my body just, yeah, wasn't, wasn't doing it. Yeah, and then you did eventually go down the IVF route. But even if, when you're a gay couple, you have been trying effectively the natural method, right, the old turkey baster, mm. does that count in in the qualifying for funding? Well, yeah, I mean, yes, technically. So, like, obviously being a doctor, I know the funding for fertility, mm. inside out, and having referred people before, it's quite a um, strict... Um, Criteria: You have to be under forty, and you have to be a non-smoker, and you, you know it's, it's like, a point, like a literal point system. Literally, isn't it? it's like point, 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 point. Yeah, and you have to go through it and have a few tests done before you get accepted. 
So I had said, oh, the baby's awake. Yeah. So she wants to be part of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully she stays quiet. Um, <laughs> um, Why did I wear this terrible dress for breastfeeding? So I'm <laughs> me over here. I'm literally hoiking up my dress. So whip them out. You're in a safe space here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I wanted to feel normal today, not like all mummy, you know. So I wore a dress that has no nice opening, and I'm just going to get my <laughs> boob out so right jug, now. Juggling a baby and trying to juggle a dress. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Keep going, baby. I'll just keep going, baby, all right? I'll just boob. keep going. So, yeah, so um, T got to a stage where she was like, okay, I want this to speed up. I was oh, like, okay. such a so slow process. So I was like, okay, cool. So I said to her, okay, well, here's how the funding works. You've got to be really careful when you're filling out the application form. With the GP. Because you got to do, like, you, the women's side and obviously man's side. And I was, like, chatting about how you do it and how to go about it. But because – oh. But because um, it's kind of like you would have to understand the dynamics of how that would work. And when Taryn went to the GP, um, bless his cotton socks, I don't think he quite grasped, you know, that she was married to me and but she'd been trying with someone else. Someone else yeah. That's one key thing I want to flag here. Is that we have to come out basically a hundred times a week, <laughs> yeah. especially being sort of profiled as very straight passing. Yeah, what happens is, and I get a little bit nervous sometimes ahead of these sort of things because I know that people think I'm married to a man, and I think a lot of people still think that there's only one sort of um, archetype for queer mm. people, <laughs> and so this guy got really flustered, and I know. Well, what I think was happening is in his head was go he was going, prove to her you're not a homophobe, prove to her you're not a homophobe. <laughs> and he wasn't listening to what I was saying. I was like, no, I have a wife. We've been together for, we've nearly been married for 10 years. And anyway, he submitted the the um, application for funding for me as a single lesbian female. God and so goodness. it got declined. And I was like, I'm married to a woman and, and we've been, been trying for two years. But he couldn't. <laughs> I just, just think he got a bit flustered, it. and again, it's not anything about him as a person. No, no, yeah. not so at all. The thing, the thing, to, the thing that's interesting here, and the thing that um, structurally I think needs to change, is that you know, fertility services are expensive, so they limit who gets access to them, and rightly so because we don't have an unlimited health budget. Mm. However, there is a sort of an institutionalized um, unfairness that is kind of built into the process and kind of just by, uh, I don't know, maybe neglect or not thinking through parts of it. So I think there's a piece there that really needs to be thought of because unless you have the means to go privately through fertility treatment, then you kind That's of miss so out. Expensive. Right, you miss out. And there's quite a lot of people in, you know, young couples like us who, who may be going through a really similar journey who can't afford 20 grand a pop. Yeah, um, it's expensive, and it's stressful. So I think there's some structural inequality there that we need to address in mm. our in the way we've structured the funding. It's not about making it a free for all, but it is about you know really improving access. So that would be one thing I'd say uh, that we could we could kind of change yeah. from a funding perspective. The access and the understanding of how how you go through that process, I think, is also because I mean. But, we didn't even realise it, and I think we only got over our points system because I had a blockage in my ball bag that I had to have surgery for, and they're like, oh, there's 10 more points, there you go. That's how a lot of <laughs> – so just just for context of the whole health system, that's not unique, right? There's lots of different 
funding or sort of gatekept mechanisms that we sort of have to have because a lot of things are super expensive. Yeah. So it's not like that's inherently bad, having a system. A system is fine. Um, but I think it's just the accommodation for really for sort of knowing that the system has been built for kind of like sort of this one path, this one way, this one this one story. And Hetero that's not, couples, and that's mm. it, really. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But like... <sighs> It's a can of worms because, like, if you're a gay couple, gay a guy gay couple, having a baby is a whole, is a, you know, biologically is a whole nother ball game, right? And then it leads us into discussion around surrogacy. Mm. Now that, as you know, the surrogacy laws and frameworks in New Zealand are <sighs> so outdated. Yeah, uh, something polite, <laughs> outdated, <laughs> incredibly outdated. And so I think there's a whole restructure of, like I said at the top of the discussion, that like, what does family mean? Mm. How do we define that? Um, you know, so that it is, it means that everyone gets a fair go. Yeah. Just FYI, that suckling noise is my baby <laughs> feeding. And isn't kind it gorgeous? <laughs> kind of unavoidable. Did you know that one in four people in Aotearoa, New Zealand, experience infertility? And it can be an incredibly challenging journey. Surgery, tests, drugs, specialists, diet. Many people try many things to give themselves a fighting chance of having a baby. Elevit is a preconception and pregnancy multivitamin and mineral supplement. It's specifically formulated to help meet the increased nutritional needs of women trying to conceive and those fortunate enough to get pregnant. Elevit is available at leading pharmacies. For more information, head to elevit.co.nz. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What do you think the process has cost you? Because I think oh god, I'm, heaps. Because it's not it's the legal thing, it's the IVF thing. Because you did go end up going yeah. down that route, right, Taryn? And it was a hell of a ride. Yeah. Um, do you have Do you have a number? Oh yeah, it's probably like 30? it's way in excess of thirty thousand. Like all of like all of the first lot of costs, and then the legal costs. It'd be close to forty, like thirty eight thousand, something like that, with all the legal fees and. Bits and pieces. Um, Which just means there would be so many gay couples out there who can't have children because they just simply can't afford that, right? Well, I also think that they they might find ways to, but they may not be supported through the process. Mm. And that's the difference here is that we're saying like all of those su- support mechanisms, whether it's legal frameworks or it's the, you know, the, the health system, like they're there to, to help you through things and they're very useful. Um, so it's that. It's not having the way to be held through this process because you know how hard it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so hard, and so and it and, and every you know with with IVF particularly your risk profile as a patient as a as a expectant mum goes up for just every metric you can think about, you know postnatal. Anxiety, depression, lots of you know, just everything you can think oh, about. Oh, Sasha, I didn't know that. 
and that's terrified me now. <laughs> Ectopic pregnancies, a whole lot of things. So it carries risk. So IVF, any kind of procedure carries risk. But if you're doing, um, let's say you go down the turkey baster route and you found a donor, uh, you don't have an agreement, um, you don't know how, how the sort of system works, you're not being held, you haven't done any sort of like pre-testing, you don't know if the person's got chlamydia, like, you know, like all of these yeah. things, like they're just, you know, they're kind of just on their own a little bit. And imagine if you're a 26-year-old gay couple, you know, it's just, it's a lot if you don't have money. You can, some people, <clears throat> sorry, I'm putting my doc, doctor hat on. You know, we've got a ton of people in this country who can't afford the $5 copay for their scripts. Like yeah. so many people, countless numbers of humans just can't afford just basic stuff. So we <clears throat> have resource and we are lucky. We're super well-educated and, and we know how to navigate the system. So that puts us sort of ahead of the game in many ways. So even though we are at a you know, slight disadvantage because we're not heteronormative, um, we can still work with what we've got. But people who have nothing, no resource, no social structures to help them through these things, they just, are, they just don't, you know, it's like almost impossible for them to set it up well. Mm. And so would your advice be research as much as you can to find the, the, the avenue that might work for you? Yeah, I think there's some good advice online and like people can look around and there's certainly lots of working examples of how it can go well. But also um, I do think we need to, as a, as a medical system, we need to address some structural policy things so that it's not, uh, you know, just us like cruising through private you know, infertility treatment, it's that we can actually get access to, to, to this stuff if you're a lesbian couple or if you're a gay guy or whatever whatever you, you identity you have. If you're struggling to get pregnant, whichever way that may be, like you can get into the system just like everybody else can. Yeah. You guys had, I think you said, some role models who'd kind of given you some words of warning when you entered into this process. Do you have people approaching you guys now saying, I see you've got this beautiful family, tell me all about it, I want to do it myself? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's beautiful. It's like a daisy chain effect, being people have helped us and then we've been able to share what's been shared with us with others. And it's been great to see some really successful outcomes with that. Mm. You know, these beautiful children coming to the world and, um, yeah. I also find, yeah, so there's been quite a few people we've sort of given help to, but also I find with patients that who might be going on this journey, I can, you know, talk, talk from, from experience, experience and be like, hey, you know, like, careful with this or like when you go through this process, look out for that. And, um, you know, one thing I notice as, as a doctor is that, when you, when you can tell someone's gay and they're a patient and you reveal to them that you know that they are through the language that you use, there's so much trust there for them. And if you give them advice, like whatever it might be, then they just feel so seen, like, oh, man, thanks. Because, like, you understand what it feels like to be masked all the time, to, like, hide so much of yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important to have in society to have – you know, whatever it is reflected back to you. I think that's that's the important part. And if we can orientate some of the structural inequalities that we have in many parts of our health system so that people are like, oh, I, at least I can see myself in this thing, in this system. You're such a wonderful, passionate advocate for the health system. They're very lucky to have you. But I, I kind of want to talk about your cute baby now. <laughs> Maya Blue over here. Maya Blue, how are you settling into life as a family of four? 
well, I'll speak for myself. I won't put, we try to do this thing we learn in counselling. You know, <laughs> I'm kidding. We work on our relationship a lot and, um, and yeah, I like to speak for myself. So I'll let you answer the question. But this has been the most positive experience of my whole life, uh, having Maya, our daughter. And I am reluctant to say we're done, but I think we are done because it's been so positive. I'd love to do it again. Yeah. Um, so you're glad you took the chance and you carried her? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I loved being pregnant. I loved my birth. It was incredibly positive. Um, I think I felt the most seen and cared for and held by the world being pregnant. And as, you know, my previous life experiences, I haven't always, I don't think I've ever really felt like that, to be honest, being vulnerable for a moment. But people are so kind to you. Mm. Like you really see your community when you're pregnant. People will open the door for you and help you with your groceries and just cut you a bit of slack. Which I'm like, why don't we treat people like that all the time? It's so nice. Which is so nice because I know you had a really hard time with the IVF process, right? It was horrible. Bit brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) Sasha also found it challenging, right, being the supporting partner? Listen, it's not as hard as doing it, but yes. Those hormones, shit. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hormones. Yeah. Mate, I mean, you were, you were just, I, there were times where I would just like walk into a room and I'd be like, uh oh, I'm going to get out of here. You just gave me the, <laughs> the evil. And just, and you were so mean. I mean, it was, yeah, it was rough. It, it was, was great rough. to talk to you, Nadine, about those experiences with, you know, taking the hormones to pump up your eggs and things during that time because I felt like just, did not feel like myself. I felt insane. Um, But you were, so um, with patients, right, when they go through the stimulation with all the the different types of chemicals they give you to produce more eggs, um, typically you might make 8 to 10, 12 eggs. But Taryn made like, like a chicken. 25. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) I think the most we ever got was 11. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it 25, was... 25, 22. Yeah, what was it? 20, oh, 22. Oh, apologies. But, you know, there was like a real response there to the point where we were all like, okay, all right, we'll just give it, give it a break for a bit. You and know, that can like, be dangerous too, like overstimulation mm-hmm. of Yeah, the ovarian ovaries. overstimulation yeah. syndrome. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> yes. I feel like we've got a gold star. <laughs> can, be really serious. can be really Yeah, I've serious. had some seriously sick patients back when I worked a long time ago in obstetrics. Um you know when you have your normal cycle, you might have a period like of a week where you might notice that you have a bit of water weight that you carry, mm. you know, like a, like a kilo or a half kilo or something, and that's just normal in a normal cycle. You and all your clothes don't fit and you feel like the world hates you. You that. feel a bit bloated, right? <laughs> so imagine pumping yourself up like with super high levels of estrogen progesterone and lots of other bits and pieces. So your body kind of like goes super gnarly and then takes on tons of fluid. So like one patient... She was doing IVF, and she gained 11 kilos overnight. No way. Way, man. And I was, like, touching her tummy, you know, examining her tummy. It was like... It was like, like a waterbed. It was honestly like a waterbed. <gasps> yeah. And then they can get so... They can get IC, They can go to ICU for that. Like, it's super bad. Not, not a lot of people have it, just FYI. It's like yes, quite it's a small rare, amount of risk. Yeah. Obviously, you must have been thinking about that when you got 22 and you were feeling awful. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. But I love the saying, the juice is worth the squeeze, <laughs> because this baby is is so worth it. And I think there's something in it when you've had to wait, you've had to work hard, 
that my friend said to me early on, she said, even when it's hard, it doesn't have to be bad, right? Mm -hmm. There's something here that makes me feel like I've, I got to do it and I feel really privileged. So a lot of stuff's just sliding for me because I feel so lucky that I've been able to do it. It's like, I feel, have you guys seen that movie About Time? The guy time travels and he, he, he says, I feel like I've come back from the <laughs> past or future. This doesn't make sense. I'm tired. Anyway, I feel like I got to come back and do this again. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive it's also, and hard, but ama- but not yeah. bad, but great. It's yeah. also cool. She's like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Give me the boob. Um, <laughs> yeah, me. One thing that's kind of interesting. Just give me one second. Sorry. I was just going to say the, the one cool thing about both of us doing it is we both get to experience like the – Hashtag dad role and the hashtag mum role. And that's pretty cool for your relationship. You can see it from both sides. Mm, great yeah, it's really cool. From both sides. Can literally put yourself in the other person's shoes. 100%. Great for empathy building inside a marriage. Really is. Okay, this is the human race and we've reached the finish line. We end the show by asking all our guests the same four questions to find out what they've learned along the way. People love to try and be helpful. <laughs> slash stick their oar in when it comes to all things fertility. What is the worst thing, almost unhelpful thing, people have said to you, or maybe the, the worst piece of advice? There was a nurse once who was like, oh, you, you got, you know, you're only here because you're missing an ingredient. <laughs> you've got and social like, infertility. You've got social infertility. And we were just like, yeah, no shit, lady. Like, I think just, it was it's just like unhelpful things that you're kind of like, Sort of rubbing salt in the wound. You know, a you're like, bit. man, we like, we're like laughing been, like, at you, which is it just does rude. a little bit, like, especially just, when they're taking so much money from you. It's yeah. A little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah totally. Okay, come on. Hang on, I might need to. But anyway, me. I mean, you know, everyone's again like in defence of lots of different people through that journey. They're all doing their best too. Yeah. Uh, so, question two: um, What's sort of the number one thing you'd say to people that are struggling with the journey at the moment? Um, something that maybe you wish you would have known from the outset? I would say trust the timing of your life and the way it works out. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. I am really glad that I didn't get Maya when I really wanted her at the beginning because I had a lot to learn and other things had to happen. And now I'm in a position, I can speak for myself, where I just am so enjoying this. We live in the right area in the house I'm loving maternity leave. It's like my best gig yet. Mm. And I feel really happy, but a lot of things had to move around. And so for me, it would be, yeah, trust the way that it unfolds. Um, even when it's hard, just keep the faith. So nice to see you so happy. Um, question three, what would you say to someone who's supporting someone going through this process? Because often people don't know how to help or what to say. Well, I've helped lots of people when they've, gone through miscarriage as a doctor and um, through really hard times and I think the main thing is is that most people don't need you to do or say anything but just like be there Mm. and And keep being there yeah it's just about you know being alongside yeah not being afraid of someone else's feelings just being there to let them feel them and don't give unsolicited advice I know that I've been like a real bad person. Like unsolicited dick pics, just don't do don't it. Don't do it. 
I've got a whole article that I've written about unsolicited dick pics that I can direct you to if you'd like to read it. And I think the other thing is Google is really free. Yes. If you don't know what to say, Google it. Like Brené Brown's amazing. There's lots of resources out there that if you don't know what to say, because even though, say, I've lost somebody really close to me, Mm. I still struggle sometimes to navigate conversations Mm. about grief because everyone's different. So I often Google for some sort of tidbits to say or do. And sometimes it's sending a bunch of flowers or a meal or just even a meme. Yeah, you I wonder if, wonder if ChatGPT is across that now. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I love ChatGPT. It's going to be all go. So our final question. Um, now, the journey can be really heartbreaking. Um, it can be awkward a lot of the time. But then there's always these sort of funny little things that happen along the way. Is there anything hilarious that you can share with us that happened to you? <sighs> there's so many things. Well, postpartum hormones are a trip. Oh, yeah. And uh, (laughs) just going back to, you know, I I think I've said to you, you don't know what it's like. And then I'm like, well, you do know what it's like. But um, I have laughed so hard twice since giving birth. And I didn't realize my pelvic floor wasn't like a hundy (laughs) that I've pissed my pants twice from laughing so hard. But then also previous to that, like five minutes earlier, she was also bawling her eyes out. So I think. Because Sasha wasn't cleaning the house right. And then I felt in that same breath, like deeply in love with my baby. And then just, a, I was just a mess. I was a circus. It's like, what's it like being married to a circus freak? You know? Um, <laughs> so there are so many things you just have to laugh. You just have to laugh. But like the whole thing's fun. Well, you have a beautiful family. Thank you for being so open about it. I I love the idea of that daisy chain effect that you're passing on some of the things that you've learnt Mm. to the next generation of lesbians or whoever else is on the journey to conceive. So thanks so much, Taryn and Sasha, for joining us on The Human Race. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to The Human Race, a podcast from Wabi Sabi Media and Stuff. Follow the show on Apple, Spotify or any other podcast app. And please leave a review. It helps other people discover this important content. You can also listen at stuff.co.nz slash thehumanrace. We'd also love to hear from you. Email thehumanrace at stuff.co.nz and follow us at facebook.com slash thehumanracenz or on Insta at thehumanracenz. The Human Race was produced by me, Dan Higgins. And me, Nadine Higgins. Audio editing and mixing by John Ropeha. The associate producer was Jen Black. And executive producer was Chris Reed. Thanks very much for listening. That was The Human Race, which was proudly brought to you by Alibit. Support babies' healthy development at every stage. Always read the label, follow the directions for use. Vitamin and mineral supplements are not a substitute for a balanced diet. If you have a baby with a neurotube defect or spina bifida, seek specific medical advice. Bay of New Zealand Limited, Auckland. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing iffy in there. On. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.